Welcome to Zero Brightness, a podcast about horror video games. I'm engineer and musician Ali Jafar, stationed in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I'm joined by my friend and fellow musician James Woodard, all the way from San Antonio, Texas. Today we're talking about a handful of first-person exploration-based indie games. We also can't seem to stay on topic and end up talking about what art is and why black metal is racist. Because we're both musicians, which means we both might be stupid. Hey, maybe that's what the title means. You don't know. And there's only one way for you, the listener, to find out. We actually call it the indie game rodeo. <laughs> uh, no, uh, indie game rodeo. Oh, rodeo. Okay. <laughs> Howdy, y'all. I just like, I just wrote that flippantly, and then later was like, man, it'd be really funny to put in a whoosh sound effect every time we said rodeo. Yeah. It's a real dog and pony show. <laughs> Volume one, because there's a lot of indie organs. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. Okay, hello. Yo. All right, episode two of our show is actually the first installment of the Indie Horror Rodeo. (laughs) We'll push. Yeah, it's in there. Yeah, you could speed that up and, you know, make it sound like the sound. (laughs) (laughs) Make my own sample? (laughs) Yeah, I could. Yeah, for sure. I'm so sorry I started the episode like that. No, that's perfect. <laughs> now I'll start again. Uh, sup, losers. <laughs> sup, gamers. Welcome to YouTube. We really need to like make an episode and like talk about how awful gamers are as like a community. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just as a thing you can choose to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's real, real <laughs> dire. It's bad out there. Um, well, so we decided that we were going to have at least a few episodes where we would go through and just talk about some indie horror games because there's a lot of them. And uh, yeah, I think, I think everybody's like first game is a horror game Yeah, when, when they go out to develop their first unity engine or game maker game. It's always a, it's a, a little horror short, you know what I mean? For sure. And, well, I know that both of us have talked about how we had similar experiences with not playing games for a while and then getting back into them. And yeah. around 2015, I think, right? Yeah. I mean, I got back. It, it's it's weird because I'm the only person that did this. I got back playing games because I bought a Wii U. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> you so are. Like, yeah, that is just you. Wii U and Mario Kart 8. Um, yeah, I missed out, like, the entire ps3 generation uh i was just like too busy in college and playing heavy metal to give a shit about video games for maybe like a five-year span but then i like i started buying like genesis games again Mm -hmm. because i've always had like a box full of genesis games Mm -hmm. and uh yeah just buying genesis games before it really um the collector thing really blew up again so i would get like complete genesis games for like four or five bucks on ebay shipped you know? Yeah, for sure. Because nobody gives a shit about Sega Genesis. I mean, everybody wants to, uh, like, Chrono Trigger. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I kind of noticed the same thing when... I didn't really get... Well, we talked about this last time. I'm not a collector, really. 
But mm-hmm. when I sort of got back into playing old games, because my nephew got really obsessed with old video games. And so uh-huh. there were just like a couple Genesis games I wanted. And yeah, they were all just like dirt fucking cheap. But yeah. then when I would, I got one of those like clone consoles that plays whatever, you know? Right, right. And when I was like, well, I should get a few Super Nintendo games. And I was like, nope, I should not. No, thanks. <laughs> like, I bought Ganbari Goman four and then like that was it i was like this Yo. is good <laughs> yeah w- w- that was a uh, a famicom exclusive uh super famicom yeah. Super, yeah that's what i meant yeah that's awesome yeah and what's <clears throat> funny is that i found through that experience that anything you can play in japanese you should because japanese super nintendo games are really cheap yes um i actually i had a friend move to japan for a couple years and he sent me a care package with a couple games and in there was uh, like Street Fighter Two, mm-hmm. and the price tag was still on it, a one hundred yen. Yeah, it was literally a fucking dollar. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. But I, I think another thing too is just like getting back into horror or getting back into video games around that time. There were just so many indie horror games, and there oh, were actually yeah. a lot of good ones. You know? Yeah. Um, well, the first game we're going to talk about today is actually one of the first games that. I played on my PC when I built my first gaming PC. Sure. Uh, just because it's just like a, like a visual cho- showcase for like 2015, 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Vanishing of Ethan Carter, which you just finished last night. Yeah, I just finished uh, it. Which is kind of a cool perspective. It's been maybe a year or two for me. Um, actually, it was the first game that Lacey and I played through together. Nice. So it's got kind of a sentimental attachment to it. Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, but uh, since it's fresh on your mind, you want to start? Um, sure. Yeah. I'm, well, you know, the thing that I was going to say, too, about uh, all the games we're talking about today are all kind of surprisingly similar, even though we sort of just picked them off a big list. Um, yeah. <laughs> they're all <laughs> like first person. Uh, they mostly feature no combat. Um, with the exception of one game, they actually do have no combat. Yeah. Um they're all very atmospheric and they pretty much all have like a visual hook too, uh, or some sort of visual style that's distinct. Um, oh, good point. I didn't think of that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, layers of fear is that's debatable, I guess, but, uh, <laughs> well, it, um, it, it, it does things. It does stuff. Yeah. Paint. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but we'll get there. Vanishing of Ethan Carter, the, uh, it, the visual hook is that it's just gorgeous and it's still gorgeous. Um, yeah. I mean, it came out in 2015 and it's unreal engine originally came out and it was unreal engine three. And then they did a redux. I think they ported it to UE four. Yes. And yep. it made it even gorgeouser. Yeah. So I never played the original version. I'm just playing the, yeah, the redo and it's really, really gorgeous. It's kind of, it's crazy how it's sort of, I mean, Sorry, I'm still playing Breath of the Wild, so I just compare everything to Breath of the Wild. But <laughs> it still has that weird moment where, like, you're looking out over a vista and you're like, is this, like, real or is this just, like, a 2D backdrop or, like, yeah, or not real? Is this rendered or is this just a 2D backdrop or what am I looking at? Because this is fucking crazy. Yeah, you know? there's definitely, like, uncanny valley level of uh, nature, Yeah, um, which is hard to pull off. Oh yeah, um, but they use they use photogrammetry. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but they take no. uh, photogrammetry is when you take like thousands of photos of things, 
and then you apply it to a uh, 3D model. So all the rocks and like leaves and dirt and nature, those are all like photographs that they put around 3D models. And that the church you go to, which is like one of like the most gorgeous buildings in any game ever, mm-hmm. uh, that church actually exists. I think it's a Polish company. I think it, that church actually exists in Poland and they use photogrammetry on it. Yeah, so that's I did read that. I did a little bit of research and I was reading about it and they were basically saying that they shot the game, you know, in air quotes, like in Eastern Europe and they actually went to real locations yeah. and so I didn't know that's how they did it, but I that's that's awesome. But yeah, they There's they, actually a blog that one of the 3D designers put out, I believe. And in your web browser, you can play with the 3D models and turn them around and look at turn turn them around, look at them, uh, zoom in and out. It's incredible. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's worth interrogating this stuff because yeah, if you play the game for even a minute, you're just like, holy shit, this is amazing. For sure. Uh, it's it's like if you really want to like impress your like like uh your your console playing friends. Yeah. You, like throw on Ethan Carter and like 4K. <laughs> and like watch their jaws drop and like it's it's a four or five year old game and it's like still like incredible yeah i was really shocked at that i think another thing too though is that it, it they put all of this time into the environment and then they made another smart decision which is that you don't see a lot of like unstylized character models right well it's it, it definitely that dates it ha- it has a giant slice of walking simulator to it, you know. See, so very rarely do you see people, and when you do, they're like ghosts. Yeah, totally. And I think that's a smart move, though, you know, visually, because it just mm-hmm. lets you focus on the environments. And there's another game that we're going to talk about soon, Outlast 2, which I think totally biffs that, where, like, the environments are fucking gorgeous, and then mm-hmm. the character models are just look like shit. <laughs> and they keep throwing them literally right up in your face. And you're just like, oh, my God. Like, right, this right. sucks. Like, let me go back to looking at trees. <laughs> I like trees. Big question. Do you think Ethan Carter is a horror game? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think so, so too. Well, here's the thing. Okay. Here's what I thought. So the setup of Ethan Carter is essentially it's a first person exploration adventure game. Uh, they say explicitly a little bit of detective game. Yeah. And they say explicitly that it's a narrative experience that doesn't hold your hand, um, yeah, which I appreciate. <laughs> yeah. And the idea is that you are this sort of detective guy vaguely and you're going around solving these murders that happened in this kind of idyllic small town. Um, very small. <laughs> very small. Yep. And as you solve these murders, you're also encountering other mysteries and solving other puzzles and collecting clues and sort of piecing together what happened in this place. And it's very, very strange. Um, whatever you're happened also- is super weird. You're also a psychic detective because yes. you see ghosts everywhere. Mm-hmm. And that's so how you solve the murders. Yeah. It, it's a pretty cool. I don't think this is the first game that's done that sort of thing, but it's a pretty cool, I guess, kind of narrative gameplay puzzle element. You know what I mean? Right. Essentially, you have, you have to go to the ghosts. They'll play like a little scene 
And then you have to figure out the order in which the events happened. And when you put all those little mini scenes together, it all plays out and you get to see like that chunk of the mystery. Right now. So what's funny is that if you, and I had read the description of this game and in my mind, I imagined it a little more comic booky. Um, and, and I think mm. that's what it suggests. But if you boot up the game and you play it for five minutes, you only can think of one thing, which is fucking mist. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, heavy mist overtones. It's especially since mist. it never tells you fucking anything. No, it doesn't. And especially once the puzzles get a little harder, um, mm-hmm. it's all based on environmental callbacks, just like mist. Like, yeah. I don't know if you remember the minecart puzzle in the original mist. I fucking hate mist. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's I fair. mean, I love mist there. I love the early like multimedia PC gaming experience. Mm-hmm. I fucking hate mist. Yeah, no, I get it. Cause mist is yeah. mist is mist hates the player. Like I can't really think of any other explanation for why it is the way it is. Yeah, um, I appreciate it. Like, there's like a generation of like dads with Miss Notebooks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah, and I, <laughs> I am one of them. Uh, except <laughs> I'm not a dad. Uh, but so what's funny is that there's this puzzle, notorious puzzle in Mist that everybody mm-hmm. hated because it is it is dog shit to be fair. But the idea behind the puzzle is that you're basically in a maze and you have to turn. You can turn in four directions, you know, you can go like north, south, east, west. And the idea is that you figure out where to go based on another place that you visit and it makes noises in the cardinal directions. So you remember what the noises mean and then you go back to the maze and each screen plays a noise and you correlate them. And so you know which way to turn in this maze, right? Yeah. Uh, which Jesus is fuck. Right. It's awful. But <laughs> what's funny is that a lot of the puzzles in this game in Ethan Carter use that same logic. They're just not horrible and they don't punish the player <laughs> as much. Well, you know, like, I mean, let's get the bad stuff out of the way. The mine is like the worst section of the game. Just absolutely. Like there's right. a bad guy. They put a bad guy in like and I yeah. don't understand why. Like it would have been just as like spooky without that. Right. So it's a game without, there's no combat and there's no dying except this one part where you can die. Um, yeah. You can't fight. I mean, fight. it's not that bad. I died yeah. once and then I just ran and did the thing. And But, I mean, it's it's a blemish on a, like, otherwise pretty fantastic short little experience. Right. Well, what I was going to say about the miss comparison, though, is that I think that if you asked a lot of people, a lot of people who are, like, around our age, right? Like early thirties, maybe late twenties. If they played mist when they were a kid, their first memory of it is it was fucking scary. Like yeah, it was spooky. Yeah. But nothing like scary happened. It just had like a f- super foreboding like atmosphere. Right. And it's, there's these creepy FMVs and like all that shit. And I sort of look at Ethan Carter as an evolution of that where it has that same vibe, except it also has an actual subplot of Lovecraftian horror that's going yeah. on that is overtly horror, you know? Yeah. And also, it's just morbid. There's all these dead people everywhere, and you keep touching their bodies. Um, <laughs> that's that's a little weird. 
But I so yeah, I think I would say Ethan Carter is a horror game, but it's it's a horror game in the same way that you could consider something like Mist uh, a horror sure. game, you know, or like um, even other walking simulators. Yeah, like uh, God, what's the one? Uh, shit, the one that the, was a Half Life Two mod, Dear Esther. Oh sure. Have you played Dear Esther? Yeah. Yeah. Great little game. Yeah. I Anyways. Mean, but you, you agree, Dear Esther is pre- pressing forward. I mean, Ethan Carter has puzzles you have to like solve. So. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I liked about Ethan Carter was that it's it's not an open world game, but it is open ended. Uh, yeah, it's super open. You, you can just like stumble into like the puzzles, really. And mm-hmm. you don't have to do them in order. Uh, actually, one of the first puzzles when I played the game blind, I did towards the end uh yeah. you know the little the little booby traps that pop up oh I yeah just like missed one of them for like half the game i had to go back and do like the whole first part of the game so well the structure of the game is basically you're walking through and there are murders you can solve and also puzzles you can solve and essentially you can skip over all of them and keep progressing but at the end of the game you have to solve them all and you basically at the end game, there's a map that lets you warp back to wherever these puzzles are so you can solve them, um, yeah. which is the biggest thing it has over something like Mist, because the design of Mist would have made you actually walk all the way back. Um, yeah, the, the Mist designers had like no interest in like the quality of life of the, the player. <laughs> oh, yeah. The sequel is actually even worse. Riven. Holy yeah. hell, man. Like they're just like, well, you got like two hours to solve one puzzle. Yeah, man, go for it. Uh, it's fucking brutal. I mean, I love obtuse 90s PC gaming, but mm. I also love playing them with guides because I'm a fucking adult and I don't have time for that shit. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think I could ever replay any of those games and I don't plan to just because yeah. of that. So that's what, it was. Ni- it was satisfying to play Ethan Carter because like you get to the end and it gives you this warp map and you have to warp back and solve the stuff you haven't solved. But yeah, I had to do all the whole first part of the game. I had to do the first murder. I had to do the booby traps. I had to do the spaceman thing. The spaceman Uh, thing was weird. Yeah. But it it makes sense. And like, you know, after the spoiler, but but yeah, yeah, I guess we could talk about story in a minute, but right. And so it is cool that the game is open-ended in that way. I did wish that they wouldn't have made you solve all the puzzles. Like I thought it would have been cool if you could have just seen the ending and then go back and play it again and have a different experience. Or maybe like, you know how if you don't solve the ghost puzzles, you still got all the pieces. Maybe they could have given you like a, you don't see all the characters in the ending or something. So you only get to see like part of what's going on. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I thought that was maybe a missed opportunity. Um, that, that could have been kind of interesting. But I do like that it had an open-ended component to the design, um, especially Definitely. after playing all the other games on this list. They're such hallway games. Yeah, and it's the same yeah. too. Like, did, have, did you play Gone Home? Have you played that game? Oh yeah, I, lo- I played through Gone Home probably twice. I loved it. Yeah, absolutely. Gone Home well, rules, and Gone Home was also. I mean, there's a few games that really popularize this sort of like quote unquote walking simulator genre, yeah. and they're you know they're all really good games. But if you play a bunch of them in a row, you're just like, 
wow, this is really just like a hallway game. Gone Home, I thought, was a little better because it gave you a pretty well-designed mansion to explore. Um, well, and the story is just incredible. It's one, right. The story of Gone Home is like touching and super disturbing. It's, I would say Gone Home is one of the best examples of showing someone that's not a gamer how narrative can how a game's narrative can surpass any other media's narrative in a certain way. Oh yeah. Like gone home would not work as like a TV show or anything. You have to, it's, it's a mystery game about like putting together like a family's story. I wasn't expecting to talk about it, but I fucking love that game. God yeah. damn it so much. You know, <laughs> like the story with like the dad and like the, the uncle, whatever, no spoilers <laughs> or anything. Cause we're not going to talk about that today, but yeah, fuck exactly. I love gone home. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's really, really fucking good. And so it's, but it's nice to play a game in that style that is even more hands off. Like I remember playing on home and thinking, you know, I like that there's an exploration component to this because you could just reveal all the story beats one after another. Mm -hmm. um, And the game could be 10 minutes long. And there are games like that. Actually, there's a whole bunch of horror-ish walking simulator games. They got really popular on YouTube because of creepy little 24-year-olds with goatees who (laughs) scream about them. Like, they're really not good. And I think that's like a Deer Esther clone thing because that's what Mm -hmm. Deer Esther did, but it did it, like, successfully, you know? Yeah, totally. And it really makes you appreciate something like Gone Home or especially something like Ethan Carter... where it's not linear and you have to work for it and it gives you some Mm -hmm. room to breathe. I think the the game closest to Ethan Carter might be, uh, I don't know, What Remains of Edith Finch. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that one? Um, Well, I I, I feel like, I don't know, Ethan Carter still has puzzles and I think you could stumble all the way through Edith Finch. And Edith Finch is a little more obvious in a lot of ways. I don't know. I I like both games a lot. Yeah, I think Ethan Carter, compared to most games in this style, is just more gamey. Yeah, like, it sure. has game elements, it has puzzle elements, and I like that actually. Yeah. Well, and I think you know that's something that's kind of interesting that I think about a lot with this type of game, which is how many game elements do you need, and how many game elements do you need to just shun and not use. Um, because I, right. I, I think for this type of game, there's a lot of game elements that just don't work. So death doesn't work. Right. Combat mostly doesn't work. Uh, inventory management doesn't work, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I like this type of game, and I think it works well in horror because they're kind of like anti-games. Like, they shun so many traditional concepts or game design ideas that you would just put in a normal game and they're actually better for it. But it really makes the moments where they don't do that kind of glaring. Like it's yeah. Like the cave. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but it's like, uh, especially Ethan Carter. It's like these creators are like, how do we want to do this? Like it could have almost been a film, but it's, this game it probably costs more to make the game actually i don't know but, yeah probably but uh, it, it's 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 the best way to do this sort of narrative experience whatever that is and walking simulators like 
it's a funny term, but it's probably like the shittiest explanation for what these games do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I well, mean, especially something like um, Firewatch. Have you played Firewatch? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how else could you tell that story? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. And well, and I'm kind of of the belief that all horror games are anti games to some degree because they basically strip away the things that we traditionally ascribe to video games. Like there's no empowerment. There's uh, there's almost no progression in the traditional sense. You don't get stronger and overcome anything for the most part. Uh, the directions are purposefully obfuscated. The story is meant to be like a really strong point that sometimes overrides the other uh, elements of the right. game. Yeah. Like, you know, the controls are purposefully shitty sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we basically just describe that just alone describes everything from Resident Evil to, you know, gone home. Like, right. They're all basically anti games to some degree and to see this genre as like an outgrowth of that, I think it's, it's pretty natural and I'm definitely for it. I mean, I remember back in the day just thinking like, man, I really wish I could just play through Silent Hill without having to fight these little baby guys, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, and that's basically what all these games deliver to one <laughs> degree or another. Well, it's funny you say that because, uh, I played fatal frame on Wii U Oh, sure. And I ended up having a lot more fun with it when I put the game on easy mode. Not that it, the game was like especially hard or anything, but like, I don't know, the battles took too long and I felt like it dragged the game down. When I put it on easy mode, I was having so much more fun. Yeah, like I always like to try games on, you know, the medium, maybe the harder setting because I want to experience what it's supposed to be like to actually use the systems in the game. But right. With this genre, I mean, with horror games, I mean, there's a lot that it just doesn't work well, and it's better without it. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially the older ones where you have to, like, I mean, not only deal with survival horror jank, but, like, 2003 video gaming jank. No, I think that's all there is to say about it, really. And I, <laughs> when I got back into playing games, I was definitely thankful that this kind of game existed because, like, this is, yeah. an, this is an avenue that we should go down. Yeah, I mean, Gone Home being free for, like, most of its life, I mean, says something. Like, everybody that owns a PC, even if they're, like, a gamer or not, should, like, sit down and, like, play Gone Home for a little bit. If you don't like it, you don't like it, but fucking, I don't know. It's, it's, Gone Home is, like, the penultimate walking simulator, and just as a narrative, it's just absolutely beautiful. Like, I'm not one of those people that are like, games are art. Uh, I think, I mean, I have a fucking art, a useless art degree, but I have an art degree. Yeah. Uh, Gone Home is like the closest. I think video games have come to being art. <laughs> huh. Hot take, man. Uh, yeah. I, I always <laughs> I always thought the games are art thing was just kind of like boring because it's like, of course, they're art. Somebody made yeah. it. It's a presentation. You know, it's like a, literally a bunch of artists had to get together to yeah. make it happen. I'm like super on the other side of the fence. But yeah, everything you said is right. But I don't think games are art like i've wow. i've i've argued so many people about them yeah wow i mean i think that the problem with games was that they came I mean, you're making them to sell them you know what i mean well i mean i all, mean all art is made to be sold yeah i guess 
<laughs> if that's your definition of art, there's like so few true artists. You know, there's like well, Wesley Willis and like maybe some other outsider artist type yeah. guys. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it, it's art. Art is a weird thing. Our survival horror games art. <laughs> I think it's <laughs> no. <laughs> I think it's funny to me that a lot of the discussion around that came from an era when the gaming media was enthusiast media. Yeah. Um, so well, there were all Roger th- Ebert. Roger Ebert was like, "There's no fucking way video games are art. Are you guys fucking stupid?" <laughs> Well, there was and then that, everybody yeah. was like, Shadow of the Colossus, though. <laughs> well, that's what's funny is that the... So if, like, Roger Ebert's out here saying that, and then the antithesis to that should have been coming from, like, games media or games critics, but yeah. the problem was that the gaming media at that time was just enthusiast media. So all they were doing was product previews and product reviews. So right. there was no one actually doing art criticism on video games. Right. Now it's like that's almost all there is. Like if you go look at a site that just does product reviews, it looks really, really dated. Um, right. And it's why everyone dogs on IGN. It's I dogged on IGN in our last episode because if you go read it, it feels <laughs> like it's 1997. Or it's like, yeah, you're, you're going to enjoy this sturdily made product. You will enjoy 30 hours of gameplay. It is fine. You know, <laughs> there's a, like a nostalgic charm to some of that, like trash gaming journalism. But yeah. uh, I mean, are they legitimate journalists? Yeah. Not really. I mean, there's, right. some, there's some people I like, but... You know, yeah, and if you look we're at... We're not going to get into that. <laughs> no. And I think on the other side of the coin now, it's like every, you know, most game criticism now kind of reflects its status as like, it's a piece of art, and it's also a piece of entertainment, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They look a lot more like movie reviews, which I think ultimately is good. Yeah. Um, because it was I mean, just so boring. The the moment you like involve a marketing team into your like gameplay design, like that shit ain't fucking art, bro. Sorry. <laughs> well, yeah, and I I, I mean some people have like visions, like incredible visions, and I think something like September nineteen ninety nine, which is like one dude and his vision, and it's a free game, and he's not gonna make a fucking cent off of it, and it's his total passion. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I that's an argument. You know what I mean? Well. But, Shadow of the Colossus. I mean, I love Tikimiko games. I don't see Shadow of the Colossus as like museum worthy art or anything. Well, sure. I think that the question is whether something is good or bad art or whether something is great art or mundane. It's not whether or not it's art. You know, it's like you can look at whatever the new like EA fucking shooter is and say that's just bad art. Or you could say that's just the mundane. I think what you're mm. probably trying to say, and if I was trying to couch your argument in my language, mm. I would say that you don't think video games have reached the level of the sublime yet. Right. I mean, which I don't know talking, if I would. We're even not argue talking Hordorowski films, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I would even argue your point on that because it's also I mean, a, it's not, a young medium. We're not even talking like Kubrick, you know what I mean? I mean, some of this shit gets like really good, like. I mean, I think something like Gone Home is more art than a Wes Anderson film. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and that's what I mean. Yeah. Like, if you asked me to look at movies like that or people, you know, movies that people put as touchstones, I would say a lot of it is just fucking mundane. Like, But also at the same time, like, 
that game and these September 99, they're like the least game games ever. You know? Yeah. No, totally. I mean, because that's the thing is that anything can be a product. You know what I mean? It's like you can look at music, right? Music is, I think, universally accepted as this just passionate, you know, uh, pursuit, right? I mean, the good stuff. (laughs) But yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. There's also like, you know, there is functional music. There is stuff that's built to be in commercials. There's stuff that's just built to be played out of everybody's car speakers. Like there's all this functionally built Ikea music. It doesn't make it bad. It just makes it, that's what it is. But is like the, the Toyota Thon theme song art though. Yeah, it's just extremely <laughs> mundane. You know what I mean? God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, the, okay, like I see it from the other side where it's like, I've, yeah, worked, yeah. I've worked on stuff like that. And I also know people who work on it a lot. And it's like, yeah, the guy yeah. who plays drums on that shit is also in like a crazy fucking experimental band. <laughs> yeah, I'm just being a piece of shit. No, I know. It's, <laughs> it, it's just, it's so funny to me because I think if you had asked me this question before I had had as much experience in the god-awful music industry as I do now like I may have just said something that was a little more simplistic and now it's just like dude I don't fucking know because it's like the dude had to go in and play drums he had to perform yeah he had to make an artistic statement it was just like an extremely bland calculated artistic statement (laughs) I mean everybody's got to make a buck yeah exactly so that's why when when I look at video games and and the really bland just totally vanilla bullshit it's like well and i know i know people who've worked on those too where it's like yeah Yeah. like there are great artists who go and do character designs for shit like that and it's like for sure it's still art it's just you know we you you heard it here first folks fortnite is art (laughs) (laughs) Uh, get get in the pit and try to love some more (laughs) yeah man that's that's all we can do. <laughs> Have you heard about the fucking the Weezer Island in Fortnite? Yeah. Weezer is previewing their new island or their new album in fucking Fortnite. Yeah. I mean, well <laughs> I don't Weezer know. used to be cool, man. Yeah, well now they're just a bunch of Uncle Gary's, so fucking nineteen ninety four was a long time ago. Yeah. I mean if you were born <laughs> then, you you may have already lived your entire life mm. by now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, fuck. What were we talking about? Ethan Carter, I think. <laughs> um, do we want to talk about this story? Uh, it would like totally wreck the ending for people. Um, but at the same time, I think it's really cool. And it's like, uh, it's, it's like one of those atmospheric horror movies, maybe like the others or something where there's like a big plot twist. Um, I don't know what else I could say that to not spoil it, but yeah, I actually, I'm going to go with not spoiling it because I don't really have much interesting to say about the ending besides it's really fucking good. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. It's a total inversion of everything that happened in the game and it's super cool and it makes you think about it. <laughs> it totally makes you think about it because I think I played through the game a second time right after I beat it to put all the pieces together. Mm hmm. Um, I, I speed ran it the second time and it was, it's actually a pretty cool game to speed run because you're just looking at pretty stuff the whole time. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, you got an hour and a half run through some simple puzzles and stuff. 
Yeah. Yeah. Gorgeous game. Highly recommended. Yeah. Totally. I mean, what else, what else can you say? Yeah. I will say I did read, you know, there was a, a blog post by one of the developers where he basically had to defend the ending. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, he was basically saying that he had seen a lot of negative review talk about the ending, saying that it was cliche or hmm. saying that it was just not interesting. Well, it does have like, I don't know, kind of like a M. Night Shyamalan twist. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I haven't really seen that happen in games much. Uh, I'm going to call bullshit on that criticism. Yeah, I actually thought I was surprised that people were reacting to it negatively. And I would also call bullshit on it just because and this was his argument that I totally agree with was that the ending isn't just a twist. Like it isn't mm-hmm. just you thought X, but why it actually <laughs> totally reframes the entire game. Oh, and that's why it's great, though. Yeah. yeah, it actually gives context to everything you saw because. Yeah, like well, it, some of the puzzles make no sense without the ending. Like yeah. the spaceman thing, like what the hell was that? And then, you know, right. And there's all this, like there's all these magical realism elements in the game, um, yeah. like the spaceman. And, you know, there's this whole sort of weird kind of fantasy aspect to it that you don't understand, like until you get to the end. And then suddenly it just reframes the whole game. And it seems pretty corny at times. Like when you start doing the spaceman thing, you're like, what the fuck is this? Like, yeah. is this supposed to be scary? But it's, it makes sense in the end. Right. Um, and uh, that's, I think that's one of the reasons why this is a little more interesting than Edith Finch, because Edith Finch, like it kind of like spoon feeds you all the weirdness mm-hmm. and it all, it, it makes sense the whole time. Right. But Ethan Carter, you like really have to like, I mean, it's, it's like a indie movie where you have to think about it afterwards. Exactly. And yeah. if you do think about it, it gives you all the pieces to figure out what's going on and to draw your own conclusions. And I, I thought it was super cool. I was actually legitimately like, oh, shit, you know? Yeah. Like, I just yeah. kind of sat there. Like, <laughs> man. I mean, it's not happy. <laughs> no, it's it's horribly depressing. And, yeah, it's great, though. Yeah. yeah. Loved it. Uh, I, I would, I'd give it a solid 9 out of 10, especially if you could find it, like, in a Steam sale for, like, five bucks or less. Like, fuck yeah, just throw that shit at it. Oh, yeah, totally. That's the thing yeah. about all these type of games. They're definitely like the the Steam special where it's like, oh, it's a few bucks. Yeah, I'll play that. But this oh, one's yeah. actually oh. worth the price of admission, I'd say. Yeah. Well, also, if you've wasted your money on a VR headset, there's a VR version, which I'm sure is really fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, this would be one of the few games that I'd actually want to try that because it's just like it'd be like going on vacation for a while. You know? Yeah, I mean, like when I'm in like hospice care, when I'm like 70, just like throw the Ethan Carter VR as it on my face. <laughs> <laughs> have you have you tried VR at all? I have not. Uh, like Google Cardboard. Oh yeah, uh, it's kind of cool. I mean, I mean, if I was like really into like racing games, I would get like the seat and the steering wheel and the headset. Yeah. But in terms of like walking around sort of games, you're just sitting in the chair and turning your head. It's that's kind of like a game breaker for me. Cockpit games make sense, like flight sims, driving games. That yeah. makes a lot of sense to me. Like a giant mech game, how fucking tight would that be? Right? Yeah, that would be with cool. the big steel battalion controller. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Ain't nobody got time or room or space for that. Yeah, 
And also, it's just, yeah, like, people were playing Resident Evil 7 in VR and freaking out about it. I was like, I don't want to do that. Yeah, but then there's, like, all these, like, weird, like, visual transitions, too, to, like, make people not get, like, motion sick. Like, every time there's a cutscene, it, like, fades to black and then comes back up. And it's, like, totally, like, breaking the sequence of, I don't know, it just looked like shit. Not interested. Uh, Yeah, that would suck. I'm yeah. not down. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck but I do I do like fast race car games. <laughs> yeah, gimme give gimme give the fake cockpit, but the whole thing. Shit is dank. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want I, the whole thing. Re- recently I've realized that I've been like I actually like a lot of bro games and that makes me sad. <laughs> <laughs> like I really liked Forza Horizon four. That was like a super fun game for me. Huh. And it's like such the broest bullshit. Yeah. And I started playing that dirt bike game trials. Oh, is that cool? And that's like so bro. Yeah. Well, it's like Excite Bike for 2019. It's so fucking dope. <laughs> but you have to mute the soundtrack and play black metal on top because oh, otherwise yeah. you'll hear like some like bootleg kid rock shit. Oh, God yeah. damn. Yeah. They should have licensed all the black metal. <laughs> Fuck yeah, dude. Just like super racist Norwegian black metal. <laughs> Oh my god. I hate how fucking problematic Black Metal is because I like really like mayhem and shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like it's like not Fuck even all those guys. It's like not even a meme how like literally every time someone is like, You should check out this black metal band, I'm like, oh neat. And I listen to one song and I'm like, This is kinda cool. Let me Google them and then it's like, yeah. oh man, yeah. you know who was like the coolest guy ever was like Hitler? It's like, yeah. oh my fucking god, you Polish trash. Get out It's of like here. a real thing, too. Like, fuck, man. Yeah, yeah. like, god. that dude from Burzum has his own YouTube channel, and he gets to just fucking espouses worldviews onto heavy metal kids across the world. Yeah, fucking Instagram Explorer was, like, telling me to check out fucking Burzum's official Instagram, and I was like, fuck you. God, yeah. go get fucked. I know, it's like, I just don't even listen to it anymore, because it's basically yeah. just like, ugh, it's just like Leonard Skinner for Eastern Europeans, it's awful, yeah. I'm fucking <laughs> tired of it. I recently discovered this band I'm like obsessed with called Umgla, M-G-L-A, I don't know how to pronounce it, Okay, but they're fucking incredible, and like, I really hope they're not racist. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) It's just like you're playing Russian roulette with black metal. That's crazy. Yeah. All you have to do is Google their name and like a handful of dog whistles and then see if, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But it's cool now, I guess. There's there's actually a lot of sort of radical leftist black metal and stuff like that. Yeah. It's actually good. There's one called Neckbeard Death Camp. (laughs) 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 Yeah, Neckbeard Death Camp's pretty cool. I mean, it's not like the best black metal, but it made me LOL. Yeah. Yeah. And there's all this, like, I guess if you Google, like, whatever, like, American bands that everybody hates, uh, you know, like, DSBM bands and and stuff, some of those are actually pretty good. Like, I like Abigail Williams, and they piss everyone off because they're, like, they're, like, posers but it's like yeah <laughs> or like death heaven like ultimate poser too. yeah yeah like i don't like that band because like alcest exists but 
It's oh, like, yeah. Yeah. I like I like Abigail Williams because it's like yeah like I want the posers I don't want guys who go like take selfies at like fucking Holocaust memorials because they like hate Jews <laughs> like yeah if no. that's the real shit I'm gonna pass like right, right. No. I am like super d- down with like all the Satan shit though like, yeah. I, I love satanic imagery in rock and roll and heavy metal. It, like, brings yeah. me so much joy. And I think rock and roll should be, like, of the devil, TBH. Yeah, absolutely. But it's like, yeah. I don't think Satan is racist. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, Satan's just really cool. And he's cool for, like, you know, it's a cool image, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And on that note... <laughs> On that note, yeah. Um, oh yeah, should we go shitty or should we go? Yeah, let's go shitty. Yeah, let's go shitty. Layers of fear. I mean, it's not like the worst, but it's not like great, you know. Well, okay, and so just a little bit of uh, inside baseball here. Um, how we were assembling this episode and the future versions of this was, like I said earlier, I mean, we were literally just listing off all of the fucking indie horror games we'd played. Yeah. Because there's yeah. a glut of them. And I didn't even list the ones that I mentioned earlier, like the shitty 10-minute crap yeah. ones. Yeah. Like, I was just listing the ones that uh, I thought were cool or, like, okay or worth talking about. And this is definitely one of those games that I got on a Steam sale and tried it out and was kind of like, yeah, this is cool and didn't finish it. And then kind of went back to it recently. And I don't know, I guess it's sort of like, because you can't play PT. (laughs) God damn. Oh, it's cool that this exists, but I don't know if it's cool on its own merits. Yeah. So man. All right. So layers of fear is like, the ultimate haunted house that you would go to like on like the shady side of your town where like they sell tickets for too much. And then like the guys actually like grab you and shake you and scare the shit out of you. Yeah. But then when you're done at the haunted house, you don't like get back in line again and do it again and get scared again. Um, Layers of fear is like a hallway simulator with triggered jump scares around every corner and it's i would say the first time you play it it does a lot of like deceptively cool things right so the premise here is that you're uh it's vague but it's like you're a painter and you're walking through your own house and you're confused and trying to figure out what's going on but you're also trying to finish this painting Mm -hmm. and the that's the the narrative setup the gameplay hook is essentially that the game is, to use the developer's term, psychedelic, uh, which is accurate. And essentially, I would see that, yeah. Yeah, essentially, whenever you go through a door, you don't know where you're going to end up. So mm-hmm. there's some persistent layout and persistent you know, geometry, but for the most part, it's like little areas. So once you've explored an area, when you turn around and go through the door, you're going to end up somewhere totally different. Or um, even if you're in an area and you turn around, the room will change behind you. Sometimes. Yes. And it's a really cool effect that, once again, people may be familiar with from PT, the teaser (laughs) for the canceled Silent Hill game uh, that went viral and was a big deal. And 
I re- it really feels like this game was like just a whole game based around that. And yeah, it has a lot of jump scares. Uh, yeah. has a lot of spooky noises. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it'll it'll scare you. You'll jump a couple times as you play this fucking game. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this is one too that once I think was pretty popular with annoying YouTubers when it came out in yeah. I think it was in 2015 yeah. or 2016. Uh, yeah, and I played it initially. I got into it because I I like that central hook that it's super psychedelic and and it gets more and more psychedelic as it goes along. Like rooms get warped sure. and weird and gravity stops working and weird shit happens poltergeist shit going on yeah yeah it is cool it's just that uh, yeah like you said it's a pretty shallow experience and the the voice acting is piss poor that's that was my big problem especially jumping between this and ethan carter where like the voice acting is amazing and the plot is really good like it's so hard to deal like the the writing is bad too which yeah. it is it, once again, it's not a big deal because the story isn't strong and it's definitely not like something that would be written down even, you know, yeah. but it's just a bummer because it's just so stupid. And then the voice acting just makes it worse, especially the, your character's voice acting and oh, it's so shitty. Yeah. Oh my Fuck. God. The, there's, uh, Oh my God. There's one where he like sees an engagement ring and he's like, the thing that bothers me the most is that my name isn't on the most beautiful piece of art. Will you marry me? And it's like, Jesus Christ. It's so fucking bad, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Layers of Fear does this thing really bad that Gone Home does really good, which is going through drawers and looking through people's things. Oh. There's even like a drawer pulling mechanic and it doesn't work all the time. And half half this game is like opening fucking drawers and cabinets. Right. Which which makes sense and gone home. Yeah. You've come home to your parents' house in layers of fear. You don't know who you are. You don't know if you're a painter until the end. You know what the fuck? Yeah. So I am going to throw this squarely on frictional games who we were talking about before I started recording uh, and who we're going to be talking about soon, at least a little bit. And they're the makers of Amnesia um, and Soma, which I really love, and Amnesia, which I have mixed feelings about. But all of their games have this kind of uh, like realistic physics element where the way you interact with stuff is supposed to feel real. So if you want to open something, you have to kind of grab it and pull it open. Um, oh, it's their fault, huh? It's their fault. And <laughs> in Amnesia, it works well. And in Soma, it's amazing. But if you go back and play the first game, Penumbra, it's like this. Uh, and it's one of the reasons why that game feels so fucking dated uh, is that those mm. those physics, realistic, quote unquote, realistic physics controls are really bad. And in this game, they're this game fucking is- horrible. Like. I had to open every door twice because sometimes I would just be pushing it the wrong way and think it was locked and then go back and it was like slightly ajar and it was like, Oh cool. That's cool. I mean, it's like super immersive to pull all those drawers and shit. Yeah. They really quality of life improvement for the characters or for the players, you know? Yeah. Well, and also you get rewarded with just voice acting, which is (laughs) piss poor voice acting. 
<laughs> for a mediocre story. Yeah. I think that, and this is something I think to contrast this with Ethan Carter, like there's all these game elements that in Ethan Carter that made the game better. I think in layers of fear, the game elements all make it worse. Uh, oh, there's so few like, okay, there's most of the game is you walking forward until you're stuck at a dead end and then you turn around and realize something new is there and then you keep going walking forward. Mm-hmm. But then every once in a while you'll come into a room and then like something has like a fucking like a combination lock on it. Like, yeah, so sim- simple adventure game stuff. And the, the solutions like always in plain sight. Right now, imagine if it didn't have any of that. And almost no voice acting, and you just kept walking forward, and that was the whole game. It'd be a lot better. It would also be PT. I, so I think I th- so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> I mean, I guess like uh, this. This is just sort of proof of my thesis that these games are all anti-games. Because if this game yeah. was more anti-game, it would be a better experience. I mean, like. Maybe we should do an episode about like PT as a fucking genre, like how a canceled game demo spawned an entire like subgenre of survival horror. Yeah, it's, it's fucking crazy. Like, uh, I don't know. And none of them are great. Yeah, well, and it's it's crazy that if you look at the games that specifically popped up in the wake of PT that were supposed to mm-hmm. be like very specifically pt like games yeah uh pretty much all of them got canceled none of them got finished um there's a whole summer stuck in development hell yeah yep there's a whole bunch of like canceled kickstarters and broken hearts and all there was one i was really looking forward to called allison road yeah that game looks awesome Uh, i think it's just like I don't know if it's vaporware or stuck in development hell but i haven't heard anything about it in like over a year yeah, well, and 2018, too, had a bunch of releases that came out that were people actually finishing their PT-like games, and I actually didn't end up playing any of them because when I would go to download them, I would just sort of look at what was going on, and all of them were like, this is an alpha. It's super buggy. For <laughs> like, sure, yeah. I think a lot of the people kind of jumped into making this type of game off of the excitement well, of PT and then didn't realize that it's actually kind of difficult. And <laughs> well, I mean like, you know, unity engine is free and gamers have a fucking superiority complex. So they think they're hot shit and I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Kyle, you're not Kojima productions. <laughs> is Kojima productions, even Kojima productions anymore. You know, I don't know. You know, uh. <laughs> Konami is survival horror at its, Greatest. Yeah. <laughs> Seeing if your game your, will survive. Your career at Konami with survival <laughs> horror. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, what, what else can we say about Layers of Fear? I mean, kind of crappy story, kind of fun the first time. I mean, there's DLC I never played. I think it has to do with the little girl. Yeah, I was surprised I, that there was a buy DLC button. I was like, they made DLC. Yeah. They didn't even I, fix the fucking controller support on it, but they like jumped right into DLC. I'm like really shitting on this game, but at the same time, like, I mean, if you can get it for five bucks, it's worth playing. It's like, you know, it's one of those B movies you'll rent once and like never watch again. Yeah. Uh, no, I would that's, say five bucks or less, get it. I mean, play it. I do enjoy the developer, Bloober Team. Okay. They went on to make uh, Observer, starring Rutger Hauer. 
And I yeah. think that one's more gamey. Uh, I liked it a lot. Even the Rutger Hauer sounds like he's dying the entire fucking time. <laughs> I hope they make an Observer too. Is all I'm saying. They're making a Layers of Fear too. Uh, the first one was, I guess, successful enough because fucking PewDiePie played it or whatever. Um, <laughs> so we'll see if Layers of Fear two is any good. Um, yeah, they're Polish developers. I hope they're not neo Nazis like the Polish black metal bands. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, PewDiePie, he likes his racial epithets. PewDiePie's a fucking piece of shit. God damn it. I think that this game, or this episode, I think the subtext is trying to avoid Northern European racism (laughs) while consuming media from there. I saw a Vice documentary about black metal, and like, I mean, it's really pretty over there, and like, I guess I'd be like, want to defend my homeland too. <laughs> I don't fucking know, dude. I live in like the plains of South Texas. I don't get it. Yeah. I live in like the worst place in the world. You know, it's like, I was actually talking yesterday about how the one time in the last like forever that I was actually moved to kind of defend Minnesota, I was actually more just like shocked that I actually felt that way kind of (laughs) yeah it was just this really pretentious person shitting on Minnesota and saying that like why should I could just move to New York it's way better and then I was kind of moved to be like hey you know what it's cheap to live here so fuck off that's like the best thing I could say about San Antonio Texas like the cost of living isn't crazy yet yeah yeah exactly you can still buy a house for under 200 grand that's pretty rare 2018 2019 yeah for sure um anyways anyways i'm starting to sound like a dad yeah let's move on to the next game (laughs) oh yeah so Uh, do we want to do lost in vivo or september let's talk about september 1999 yeah yeah uh super cool experimental little game uh one dude made it his name is 98 d make and that kind of says everything about it right (laughs) yeah that rules uh, found footage. I mean, you're in control of the camera or <laughs> whatever you're pointing at, but I mean, you're not really in control of much. The game is over in like five and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. Scenes cut uh, randomly. Uh, you don't uh, have any control over when the scene goes to the next scene. Yeah. Um, things happen. There's like five scenes and then it's over and then you have a bunch of fucking questions. Right. And that's that's what I liked about it. I mean, compared to, you know, what I was kind of talking about, some of those other like short first person horror games that are in this genre. Yeah. I like that this one was so vague. It told you nothing. It basically lets you do nothing besides just mm-hmm. explore a really small area. And no dialogue. So there's no room for shitty voice acting. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, like th- this dude that made this game, he knows how to live up to all of his limitations, right? Mm -hmm. Super lo-fi sound design. Uh, He slathers, I I guess it's either unity engine or unreal. He slathers it in a VHS effect. Yep. So even if his, you know, models don't look great, they're slathered. They look like an old tape. Uh, Right. The narrative is so limited yet like so effective in five and a half minutes. Um, games is art games is art dude well yeah yeah, and I think it's cool that it still presents you with a scenario that actually makes you think 
So, yeah. I mean, I played like, it and I was just kind of shocked when it was over and I was like, holy shit. And then I went back and I played yeah. it again and just to sort of take in some of the details and think about what was going on. Did anything change between the first and second playthroughs? No. Okay. Um, I played through it three times and it's, I, I was worried I missed something. Yeah. But and I y- guess not. <laughs> no. And I think that's even one of the cool things about it is there's this whole unease that it creates. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're a guy in a room, right? <laughs> there's a room and a hallway and there's like a mattress on the floor. Right. And there's like shit all over the floor, like empty champagne bottles and stuff. And you're literally limited to the room and the hallway for the entire game. I think. Yeah, that's it. And so I think there's, you're holding you're holding a camcorder because you can see the date and time on the bottom left, and it starts like September seventeenth or eighteenth. Mm-hmm. And each time it jumps forward a couple days, a day or two, and the tension escalates each time, and weird shit keeps happening each time, and you never get an explanation for it, and so the tension just keeps rising and rising. Until it's over. And then the last scene, uh, you can't even control the camera because the camcorder's on the floor and you just hear uh, someone being dismembered. Yeah. <laughs> so. It's so cool. Like, and it's, yeah, I don't know. I loved it. And I actually, it's a really good transition into the next game because I loved it for how it built tension and yeah. how it sort of manipulated the person, you know, the player. Oh, Uh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I thought that was really, really cool. And it's, you know, it's free. It takes about six minutes of your time. Stuff. Yeah, it's definitely worth a play, especially if you like atmosphere core found footage. It kind of feels like something you'd like accidentally find in Goodwill and you feel like you have like evidence of a crime or some shit. (laughs) Um, Yeah, totally. Totally. My one question, do you think that you're the killer or another victim? That's a good question. I sort of assumed that the player is the killer because there's a moment where you hear someone like crying behind a door. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the only thing I'm basing that off of, which is But that's before you find the body in the bed. So that could have been another victim. You know what I'm saying? Right. So uh, I don't want to say too much because the ambiguity is like really one of the strong suits of this quote unquote game. Yeah. Just go play it, everyone. Yeah, totally. And even just that gives you a little bit taste of how two people can interpret it differently and the scenarios you concoct in your head. Like I the whole time was just like, what, what's going on in the gaps? Like if I am the killer, which I was assuming like what's going on in these gaps, like why are things changing? And yeah, it's why are there cops outside my house? (laughs) Yeah. It's definitely the kind of replay, uh, replayability idea cranked up to the max where it's like, well, if you can just go through this in five minutes and nothing changes, you're going to do it a few times just so you can think about it and draw some conclusions. Um, yeah, it's like, it's like the heavy metal kid went to film grad school at UT and made a short film. Yeah, (laughs) totally. (laughs) It's like the, the kid that would like wear like mayhem shirts in the family photo like look (laughs) you dad give me some money (laughs) it's the video game equivalent of that mayhem album cover where it's just the dead guy (laughs) his name is dead and he's dead yeah that's what i thought um but i couldn't confirm didn't want to be a poser 
I love these memes going around since Lords of Chaos came out. It's like spilled spaghetti all over the floor. <laughs> it says <laughs> Dawn of the Black Hearts. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh, God. Black metal. <laughs> fucking hell. I mean, if it didn't sound so cool, it'd be like really fucking stupid. <laughs> I wish it just sounded like Yacht Rock and then it would just have the same aesthetics. That'd be hilarious. Uh, I will admit that Yacht Rock is one of my um, guilty pleasures. Well, and that's that's commercial music. That's just purpose designed to like make you happy and it works. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. See, art's overrated, dude. Art's super overrated. Uh, get you get yourself a rich girl. <laughs> get you a rich girl that does both. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Lost in fucking vivo. Yeah, man. I like never even heard of this until you put it on the list, and I was like, "What is?" Yeah. And I was like, "Is this like horror Minecraft?" <laughs> <laughs> and so, Lost in Vivo is a horror mod for Minecraft. That <laughs> I'm sorry. It basically is. No, I mean, so Lost in Vivo is another first-person indie horror title, like everything else we talked about. Um, however, it is pretty different from the other games on this list. Um, it specifically is supposed to look like a PS1 game in the graphical style. Mm-hmm. It also has a ton of references aesthetically and otherwise to Silent Hill, um, but not the bunny keychain. Yeah. And the sound effects, the color palette, uh, yeah. the whole concept, the subway setting. Um, yep. <laughs> I mean, there's a ton of callbacks to Silent Hill, but it's cool because it's one of those games that doesn't exist in any sort of specific era or time, which, you know, it looks like it's supposed to be set in 1998. However, I mean, it actually has a bunch of callbacks to the whole Silent Hill series, like the first four and specifically three and four get a ton of shout outs yeah even some games like what the save rooms are clearly designed after castlevania symphony of the night which yeah i thought was like a really cool touch but they have the same effect that red effect and sound effect from silent hill 3 that's like literally just the silent hill 3 wow place. i didn't catch that yeah and so it's cool in that way but I mean, it's also cool, too, that like the graphics, it's easy to just say like, oh, yeah, it's supposed to look like PS1. But then when you actually think about it, it looks a lot better than a PS1 game. Like, oh, for sure. You couldn't pull this off on a PS1. No, the lighting is super cool. Um, Some of the environments actually look really good. But yeah, there's just some of them. Some of them. Yeah, some of them. Um, The premise of the game is that you're walking down the street with your service dog (laughs) and corgi very yeah, cute your surface corgi and uh it gets washed down a drain uh in a sewer in a flood and so like you, it yeah like exactly like the stephen king it and you go after it and you basically have to explore this dark foreboding subterranean world and there's a few different environments that you go through um mm-hmm. and yeah that's the game it does have combat and it has an inventory. Uh, although they're You'd, both there's, there's no limited inventory space, no. which is fantastic. The inventory screen is almost exactly the same as silent Hill too. Uh, the guns feel like shit, uh, purposefully. Yeah. Just like any good survival horror game. Exactly. 
Um, so it, it's interesting that I, I feel like this game fits with these other games we're talking about because even though it has more game elements like an inventory and combat, they're mm. skippable for the most part until the very end. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I do want to mention how strange the first 10 minutes are. Mm-hmm. It's very hypnotic and almost like Hellraiser-y yeah. uh, in a way where, because the first area that you go in once you go into the sewer is just these like very small sewer tunnels mm-hmm. and they just keep fucking going and going and going and you're supposed to whistle to your dog and he barks back and you just keep like going into these depths and then uh, like the uh, the tunnels start like twisting and doing kind of like a Hellraiser-y Silent Hill vibe. Yeah. And um a lot of the game isn't like that. There you're like, you know, there's a hub and you go do tasks and come back to the hub. Right. But th- those first few minutes like it almost like hypnotizes the player. Oh, uh, yeah. And and it makes you think that the game's not what it is. Like I thought it was going to be a A to B walkie simulator kind of thing. Mhm. But uh yeah, it really av- uh, subverts your expectations, I would say. Yeah, and I, I felt that way about the whole game, like that it subverts your expectations in a really cool way. Like even just how overtly it's drawing from Silent Hill, you know, like the going into the tunnel in the wall is straight out of Silent Hill 4. Yeah, um, which is my favorite Silent Hill. Yeah, take. yeah, 3 and 4 I'm I'm down with. Uh, like it probably is my favorite, but it's... It's just interesting that, like you said, it goes on for so long that it turns into a Silent Hill 3 thing. Like, that's what I like about Silent Hill 3 a lot is that it has the endless hallways. Uh, Oh, yeah. And this kind of does the same thing where it takes an idea from Silent Hill 4 and then marries it with an idea from Silent Hill 3 and then adds in this other element, which is that you're looking for your dog. So it kind of has this sadness. And silliness, too, because your dog looks real fucking goofy. Yeah, like whenever (laughs) your dog shows up, it's just so funny. And and then, like, all the character models for the bad guys, they're scary and grotesque at first, but, like, the animations are so basic and the AI is so dumb that it really does become, like, very silly in ways. Yeah. So it's this weird mix of, like, scary jump scares and then, like, glitchy silliness. I feel like this game, like knows it's glitchy so it plays with the glitches a lot yeah um even the good ending is hidden behind something that i thought was like a game-breaking bug oh yeah for sure um because it starts throwing unity engine errors and i was like a malformed request or whatever (laughs) yeah i just like i think it throws the stack trace at you or something yeah Yeah. and i just powered through that and i was like ah whatever but then when you said you got it too i was like oh that must have actually been purposeful that's one of the steps to uh unlocking the the scary ending it's like a secret ending and it's scary yeah yeah Yeah. yep well, the thing, too, that I, I really liked about this game is that it's at least and this is maybe personal, but it's super got under my skin like immediately. I was just kind of yeah. creeped out the whole time I was playing it because it's like the sound design is bonkers. Yeah. It's the sound design's great. It's super good. And the enemies are actually creepy. Some of the enemies, they go through walls a lot. Yeah, they jump out at you, but also just sometimes like you're it, the game builds tension so well that you could literally see anything and it would be scary. 
Yeah. You know, and the bad guys are really fucking cheap too. And they can kill you really fast, which makes you panic. Yeah. And so, and I think playing towards its limitations, I think like that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, totally. And, and once again, it's like it, it takes things from silent Hill, but then in some ways uses them more effectively. Like the game never gives you a radio and says, Oh, the radio makes white noise whenever an enemy is near. That's what Silent right, Hill does. Right. In this game, there's just certain enemies that have that as part of the sound design. That they're oh, for sure. Like yeah, is Mersbo around the current corner? Because <laughs> fucking, I think Mersbo is playing a set around the corner. <laughs> yeah, but I love that it it just became more scary and surreal because the game was just like here it is, no explanation, no hand holding. You know, it's just like, here it is. This happened. There were some like qu- pretty obtuse parts where I did have to like go watch some like douchebag on YouTube, play through it and figure it out. I agree with that. The part that really frustrated me was just the last couple areas where you're expected to do more combat. Oh, yeah. Uh, especially you get the good ending. There's like way too much combat on that last stretch. Yeah. And even like the game basically has like a final boss uh, that's followed by a final stretch of combat and the final boss is stupid. Uh, yeah. is that the one you like squish him in the door? Yeah. Yeah. It's so stupid. I didn't love it. And I had to look that up on the internet. I, I, every step of that, I looked it up and every time it was like, no, you're doing it right. You just aren't doing it right. And I yeah, was like, God, yeah, exactly. Damn it. Like I figured uh, out what I was supposed to do, but it's so janky. Yeah, and it was pretty janky. It almost ruined it for me because the rest of the game was just so good. It's also a game that doesn't have like a real story. It just sort of has this environmentally, you know, told suggestion of a story that is really, right. really cool. Well, you know, in, in, as is tradition in Resident Evil or Silent Hill, you're like reading notebooks and shit that people left behind. Mm-hmm. So each area has its own kind of like incidental story. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the whole game is based around this idea of, you know, this person who's in therapy. And so you don't know if what you're seeing is real or someone just visualizing their emotions. All uh, right. Yeah. Or like, and you, and you see a lot of, you know, there's a lot of like, there's notes, but there's also stuff on the wall just about like hating yourself and, you know, just like being emotionally distraught. And I think that maybe, uh, maybe why it got under my skin because I've been very emotionally distraught the last couple of weeks. <laughs> So like (laughs) playing this game was kind of horrifying um, and it actually had the intended effect that the developer set. So the, the name lost in vivo um, the developer said it's based on in vivo exposure therapy, which is, you know, a type of exposure therapy, which is basically where, you know, a patient or someone undergoing this therapy is just exposed to the thing that they're afraid of. And there's another concept linked to it called flooding, um, which is, you know, essentially being like overwhelmed, you know, like uh, sort of sensory uh, overload. Huh. And this game does that to you. And especially if you're not like feeling great and you're playing it, you're just like, oh, yeah. my fucking God, like this is just. <laughs> and that's kind of the only reason why I don't totally hate the end section is because it makes sense thematically 
it's just not fun. And I had to do it over and over. And at some point it just lost the resonance because it's like I'm literally just trying to kill a giant baby and it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not I something I should say ever because killing a giant baby sounds fucking awesome. I did it in Contra <laughs> and it ruled like what the fuck. Yeah. I mean, I had more issues with the um, at the end when you're going through all the roach tunnels and shit. And then it's like a gauntlet of bad guys right before the good ending. I had to play that about 10 times and I almost like lost my shit on it. Yeah. That part sucks. (laughs) I mean, it's an indie game. It's got some flaws, but I mean, you could tell it's like a total passion project from this developer though. Right. Well, and the thing, the thing too, is that, so the developer is a dude named Akuma Kira, whose only other released project, you know, full project is Spooky's House of Jump Scares. I've heard of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so Spooky's House of Jump Scares, which I think changed its name actually to Spooky's Jump Scare Mansion. Uh, I don't know. Like both the- equally effective. Right. <laughs> it reminds me of Hugo's House of Horrors from the early 90s. Oh, yeah. Totally. <laughs> well, and, and so that game was interesting because it presents itself as a joke and. It's kind of, it's just this gauntlet of rooms and the longer you play the game, the more it actually becomes kind of creepy and it shares a lot with Lost in Vivo in the late game where it's just Mm. this very creepy, you know, 1998 style PC horror game. Um, And it also kind of went viral because of the name and YouTubers playing it and blah, blah, blah. And I love that this is his second game. Because it's a total, it feels like a rejection of all that, where it's like, no, this is just dark and depressing and fucked up and there's not really like a joke here or there's no like subterfuge. It's just, it is what it is. Yeah. Well, at the same time, it is very like meme I mean, there's, there's corgis. Yeah. <laughs> there's a potato uh, graphic setting. Yeah. It's like, it's subversive in like several ways. And I think that. That's definitely a plus. Right. But it's definitely, if you're going to go into it, it's good to know that it's still kind of, well, it felt like an alpha when it came out. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, if you go like go through a door and the, the stage loads after you, like you kind of fall into place. Yeah. There's definitely like, uh, an incomplete feeling to it. Right. But but it's kind of fourth wall breaking, like something like uh, Doki Doki Literature Club at points. Right. So uh, it's charming and it's jank. Exactly. Well, and it's also funny that right after we talked about doing this episode, the new update came out. So that was last week, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I think we basically for this podcast, like played the beta, you know, played the old shitty version. (laughs) Well, Well, no, I think we played the new version. Uh, oh really yeah so interesting we, it was kind of like shittier before it was basically an alpha now it's in beta, <laughs> beta and i don't know if he's going to keep updating it and eventually it'll feel a little more polished or if it just is what it is but i think it's good to know that going in you know god bless pc gaming yeah just fucking ship it man we'll fix it later <laughs> yeah i definitely didn't know that going in and i didn't tell you so because <laughs> i'm cool but I mean, yeah. I enjoyed it thoroughly. It only crashed a couple times. Yeah, I, I think I had some problems alt tabbing. You can't alt tab in you this game. You cannot alt tab. No, nope. <laughs> wrecked. 
<laughs> There's also no V-Sync, so you have to run it windowed if you don't want it to screen tear, but I kind of like the oh, screen tearing. I, I forced V-Sync in the NVIDIA control panel. Yeah, you can do that too. Get on my level. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like the screen tearing though. It kind of no, made it dude, look like... Fuck that. No. It kind of made it look like an old... VHS or something. I'm going to stand up against you on that. No, no 30 frames, no screen tearing. I would never be pro screen tearing in another context. <laughs> hey, do, well, do you think September 1999 would be better in 480p? <laughs> Go fuck yourself. <laughs> no, 480i. We should. It needs the interpolation. It needs oh, yeah. those like fucking stripes across the screen. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely wanted a more hi-fi experience out of a game that's supposed to look like a waterlogged tape. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Fuck yeah. I'm always going to fight for 30 frames, though. I like 30 frames. I mean, if we're going to be releasing these podcasts on Ink Ribbon, you can have your 30 frame <laughs> survival horror games. Yeah, I'm going to make a YouTube version of this where it's just someone playing Fortnite at 30 frames. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, 30 frames at like a four by three aspect ratio. Yeah. Lowest 40. Yeah. What yeah. Is, can I two two fifty six colors? Uh, we should start a, a, a Twitch, but we're just playing Fortnite on our iPhones <laughs> and it's another iPhone pointed at the iPhone screen. <laughs> yes. And then that's downscaled yes. using a handbrake. Um, yep. Yeah, man, that's my shit. And we could just talk about like how shitty gamers are as like a subculture. Gamers love layers of fear. That's why PewDiePie loved layers of fear so yeah. much. He was like, I love that he killed his wife and also he he loves race hate. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys heard Bursum? <laughs> Have you guys listened to music about race hate? I really think it's better than music not about race hate. <laughs> Christ. It's it's so funny trying to explain to like that to like metal guys who like are white that it's like i'm like not white so when i find that shit it's like oh yeah this guy like wants me to die like yeah it's a little different for i think for some white people when it's like oh he has absolutely he has bad political views but for me it's like oh he wants me to die like (laughs) i mean well like i grew up on like the other side of the tracks so yeah. I couldn't I couldn't help but having ethnic friends, you know what I mean? <laughs> like I have Mexican friends and black friends. So like I kind of get it. Yeah. But I mean, if you're like a upper middle class like white kid, you're just not exposed to anyone else but people just like you. Yeah. And people they just don't fucking get it and Yeah. I mean, they they might not be malicious like overtly, but they might vote maliciously. <laughs> You know what I mean? Right. And especially they just don't get it. Yeah. Now you can just hang out in your room alone and just like never have anyone tell you, like, don't say the N word. And then you like, don't get why it's bad. If you like spread the message to other people that like, that's okay. Ben Shapiro looks just like me. (laughs) Oh God. Ben Shapiro told me Ollie's bad. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually how this whole thing ends. <laughs> hey, Ali, we can't be friends anymore. Um, my friend Ben Shapiro said that Muslims are bad. So I discovered YouTube <laughs> and uh, I have some things I need to talk to you about. <laughs> hey, can your family like leave my country, please? <laughs> I'm a little like... offended that you guys came here in the first place. <laughs> God damn it. 
Well, yeah. So I think the yeah, you're right. The real survival horror was the internet all along. <laughs> God damn it! And now, like everything I said is going to be like taken out of context, and I'm going to be a <laughs> fucking pariah like Alex Jones on the internet. You know, if you had an, if you personally had like an Alex Jones style channel, though, I would probably watch it. Oh uh, yeah, I do have some conspiracy theories. <laughs> <laughs> about how Clear Channel made all music mediocre to control our minds. And that's why there are so many school shootings now is because, like, suburban white kids don't have any fucking release anymore. Oh. You know, they used to have Marilyn Manson and Nine Inch Nails, and now they have, like, Imagine Dragons. <laughs> like, Imagine Dragons, music like Imagine Dragons is the reason why there's fucking school shootings. Wow. 100% absolutely, man. I think like, if, if you'll allow me to workshop that conspiracy theory, I think it would be better if you believed that there were hidden coded messages in Imagine Dragons. <laughs> well, just think about like how fucking dangerous pop music was in the 90s. Like yeah. We had like fucking Dr. Dre and Snoop and fucking Tupac and Biggie and Nine Inch Nails, Marilyn Manson, all this dark shit, Rage Against a Machine. Yeah. And then, like, what happens in the early 2000s? You know, like, Clear Channels bought 99% of all the radio stations in the country. All this mediocre TRL shit starts getting, like, poured out. New metal killed rock and roll forever. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking, like, there's no, like, good rock and roll. What, what are teenagers listening to now, man? That's why they're all fucking sad, you know? Yeah, it's true. Because even, like, the, the popular mainstream hip-hop is basically just, like, a twist on pop music now. Yeah, it um, went from, like, violence and, like, to, like, frivolity. All, all it is is just frivolity and prescription drug worship and shit. It's so weird. Like, yeah. get fucking mad about something. Like, Donald Trump's the fucking president. Like, get pissed off and start a punk band or something, you know? Yeah, Fortnite, bro. <laughs> fucking dude just make it big debut your album on a fucking Fortnite island like Weezer like yeah, those fucking man. 50 year olds in Weezer Gary bunch of Gary's bunch of Christ. Uncle Gary's Christ man I, Weezer Weezer was cool once <laughs> <laughs> I know that's right man that blue album was good <laughs> Yeah, I, don't think he, I think he sold his big muff. I read kind of a conspiracy theory about Rivers that like yeah. <laughs> that like the failure of Pinkerton uh, made him decide to like reverse engineer being a successful musician on every level. <laughs> and there's actually some decent evidence for this conspiracy theory because it's it's based on the episode of Song Exploder that he did. Do you know this podcast? I am not familiar now. So there's a podcast called Song Exploder, and I had actually never heard of it until years ago. One of my friends specifically told me to listen to this episode, um, and it's Rivers explaining how he writes songs, and it is the most like disturbing American <laughs> psycho level like pathology I've like ever heard in relation to music. It's so weird. Basically what he does is he he has a giant data tracking system that's all on paper. So he just has binders of like spreadsheets. And what he does is he he writes musical phrases and then he free associates lyrical phrases. And then he compiles or he, he like writes them down and organizes them like data and then he compiles them all in these 
binders, and then the way he writes songs is he just picks and chooses elements out of these binders. That's so fucking not metal. Yeah, no, I know. And so that's what's actually really funny is that when he writes a song that seems to have like a tone or a theme or something like that, it's yeah. it's literally because he engineered it out of all these other different ideas. And oh, wow. And then when he writes a song that doesn't seem to have any tone or theme or idea of what is even going on, it's because it's literally written via free association. And the whole idea is that he's trying to like abstract, I guess, like himself. Is that why his lyrics are so bad? Yes. They're just fucking, wow, man. And that's why we went from, you know, lyrics about his stepdad to whatever the fuck he's doing now. Um, I can guarantee he didn't write in the garage like that. No. And that's like I said, I kind of read this like funny take that someone was like, this is all a reaction to Pinkerton because he he wrote an album that was totally unfiltered what he was feeling and it's very fucked up and weird and problematic and it didn't it wasn't immediately beloved and so he was like well fuck you guys i'm gonna figure out what you want and he's even said like he started doing that with green album and he's like there is no emotion in that record which makes sense the day hashpipe came out might be the day that rock and roll like finally died What a horrible fucking song. It's a bad song. I do like Green Album, though, and I like Maladroit, too, but... I've never listened to them, because I just fucking hated Hashpipe. So, like, well, that was the death now. knell. I mean, yeah, came out, yeah. <laughs> I don't even want to listen to Pinkerton, also. I just want to listen to the Blue Album and the B-Sides. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, that's, that's really... That's just, like, peak Weezer for me. That's all that really holds up, but it's interesting, because after I read that hot take, I was like, well, why do I like these two albums you wrote like that, and I hate all the rest of them? And I think it's because, like, the system worked too well. And so <laughs> he just started ramping up this whole idea of, like, I'm not a human being, and just started making all this, like, horrible garbage. And yeah. it's interesting, because other people... I mean, that, like... Lil Wayne literally has an album called I Am Not a Human Being. It's probably his worst album. And it's kind of like, oh yeah, when people try and do this like engineered public persona thing, unless you have a really strong idea and you're a really strong like performance artist, like doesn't actually work. I mean, we don't put out records. We put out Fortnite Islands. <laughs> Fuck you. Rock and roll forever. Oh yeah, man. Uncle Gary, dude. Uncle Gary's off the rails. <laughs> I can't think of anything more rock and roll than putting out a fucking Fortnite island. I can't think of anything more rock and roll than me watching my nephew play Fortnite and just constantly asking him, so what is this? So what is this? So what is this? <laughs> That's so uncle. Yeah, I uncle Gary the fuck out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. All right. Well, Something. is that... Does that wrap this one up? <laughs> yeah, there's <laughs> something in there. All right, losers. <laughs> Peace out. Yeah.